Ultra. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Today, we're remaking 1972's The Candidate with return guest Diane Bloom. So listen once, listen twice to this episode, you middle-class honkies. And Diane, (laughs) is The Candidate a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? I think it should be remade. I think it's as relevant today as it was then. And I was surprised at how much of it was relevant. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, just sitting and watching this movie, like, we watched this movie together, and we were both just kind of like, that's a thing that would happen now. That's a thing they would say now. This hasn't changed. Uh And then we were like, this is supposed to be a parody and a satire and funny, right? Yeah. Anyway, hi, yeah. Dan. Hey, welcome- Sam. Welcome back to Ideal Remake. Thank you. For people who are just tuning in and haven't listened to your many previous appearances on the podcast, why don't you tell people a little little bit about yourself? Okay, my name is Diane Bloom. I've been in Hollywood for about 15 years in L.A. I started out as as an assistant and as a PA, and then I worked my way up to a director of development at a company, then sparked out to myself to do some producing and writing. So that's where I'm at right now is I'm writing some independent stuff. Cool. Fun. Great. Do you remember the first time you saw the movie The Candidate? Ooh, it was on my Robert Redford kick. So I've gone on little kicks for different actors and actresses. So I'll see everything they've ever done. So my Gene Kelly kick included Brigadoon. Okay. And there was a Mel Gibson kick before he got uh, canceled. So I saw some really interesting early Australian stuff of his. There was a Russell Crowe thing, again, before he got canceled. Or before he got fat. I don't think Russell Crowe was ever canceled. I think he's difficult, but I don't think he's ever done anything. No, you're right. When I said that, I was like, wait, he hasn't been canceled. He just got very difficult and kind of my, less my cute. My understanding is that he's been difficult the whole time. I My understanding is he's gotten a little bit better, but he's a difficult person to work with. Yeah. He is overly confident, let's say. One yeah. might go so far as to say arrogant. Yes. But I don't think he's crossed lines outside of just being difficult to work with. I think you're right. I absolutely will go on that. That was a mistake. That was a mistake. But I've also liked Jeremy Irons and I've liked Meryl Streep and I've liked other actors and actresses where I just watch every movie they've ever done. So what I was thinking with this movie is I was thinking this might be one of those movies that like your parents had introduced you to, but I guess not. No. My parents are both immigrants. They came here to the States from South Africa, but they were wholly uninterested in political movies. So whereas okay. my mom was more interested in introducing me to French New Wave. Got it. Okay. All right. So this is something you absolutely just discovered on your own when you were just looking up the filmography of Robert Redford. Yes. So Downhill Racer, Robert, The Candidate, The Sting, Butch Cassidy, Three Days at the Condor. How does this fall in the repertoire of Robert Redford? This was his second, I believe his second major feature. The second film he did with Michael Ritchie. They did down, down, uh, Downhill Racer together. Sure, that's actually not what I meant. I meant, how does it stack up against the other Robert Redford movies? Is it oh, it's, it's up there. It's okay. up there. It's, it's in the top ten. Okay. Easily. Because 
not necessarily the movie itself, but in terms of performance. In terms of performance, in terms of the fact that he produced it, in terms of the fact that he wanted to do this film, that it wouldn't get made without his star power. Okay. And he had a lot to do with the making of the film. So I think there you go. you're looking at what he did in this, and then all of a sudden in Ordinary People in, in 1980, I think, he wins the Best Director Award for that. So I think this was sort of his prototype of what kind of movie he wanted to do as a producer and director. And he's a political guy. Yeah. So when we were talking about movies to cover, because we've covered an eclectic selection of movies, you and I. Uh Uh-huh. Like, just from, like, Ronin to the Angelina Jolie bullet-curving movie. Wanted! Wanted, thank you, to Humphrey Bogart. In a Lonely Place. Thank you. And just, like, a bunch of different things. Like, you have absolutely widened my cinematic experience so what about the candidate well you said it already that like it's, it's a worthwhile movie to talk about and to to go over so i guess for people who aren't familiar with the candidate what happens in the movie the candidate okay so the candidate is essentially a movie where some democratic power players want to run someone against an incumbent, a Republican incumbent, mm-hmm. who is the senator of, Cal- of the state of California. So they it opens with them just losing. Their candidate loses the first... Their candidate loses initially. Their candidate lost a special election. Yes. So they're like, well, who do we run now? And literally, it looks like they look at the back of a newspaper and they're like, this guy! And this guy turns out to be Bill McKay, who is... Robert Redford, who is the son of the ex-governor of California. Yeah. Who is a, he's a lawyer. He's a political active lawyer. I, I don't think it, the, the guy found him on the back of, no. of the newspaper necessarily because I, they knew each other. Because, like, Marvin Lucas, the campaign head, had known him when he was a kid because I think he'd worked for uh, Bill McKay's dad. Yeah. But yeah, so he goes out to find this, like, public defender, public attorney, like, a lawyer fighting for leftist causes. Right, a political activist. Sure. Yeah. And basically they go about trying, like, you're doing small time stuff, man. Don't you want to make a, a big, a bigger splash and, like, really fight for stuff? You don't, we don't even expect you to win. We just want to give your causes a voice. And that way, when you lose, because you will lose... You'll be have much more of a public face, so you can get more people going with your cause. Yeah, they they basically have to sell them on it. It's a pretty hard sell. Yeah, and everyone's into it. Bill McKay's wife's super into it. Everyone around him is into it. It's like, oh, of course, obviously, Bill McKay is a person who should be in in politics. And he's like, I don't want. I mean, I'll do it because like I believe in the causes. But I'm fine, but I'm going to lose. And they're like, yes, you're going to lose. Great. And so. What happens is that the movie starts and, like, he starts having all these causes, but it compromise after compromise after compromise after compromise after compromise just homogenizes this guy out into the most milk toast candidate ever. He's just, they're voting for, people are just voting for the handsome young man over kind of the cranky old man. And at the end, when he does eventually win, he's so compromised everything that he believes in that he asks Marvin Lucas... what do we do? Because he no longer has any opinions of his own. Right, exactly. And this is a comedy. That won Best Screenplay in the Oscars. Wow. And the writer of it, um, what was his name? Robert... Jeremy Larner. Jeremy Larner actually was a speechwriter for Eugene McCarthy. Wow. 
Wait. Not Joseph McCarthy. Different McCarthy. Who's Eugene McCarthy? Eugene McCarthy ran for president in 1968. Against? Against Johnson. He was mm-hmm. running for the Democratic candidacy in uh, 68. Interesting. All right. Well, wild stuff. So, I mean, I summed up a 110-minute movie. It felt longer than that watching it. Well, it did and it didn't because I actually watched it again today just oh, to make did? sure it was yeah, just to make sure it was fresh and that I hadn't missed anything. And you summed it up perfectly. But I think what was missing in that is sort of watching Redford's character and Redford slowly become smaller because he starts out this big colorful guy who has big sideburns and messy hair and all of that gets trimmed immediately and then he sort of becomes all of a sudden he's wearing dark suits and he's not as casual as he was and he's there's a whole sequence where he's literally just repeating the same speech again and again and again and again and again that was probably my favorite sequence in the movie where he gives the speech the first time and the first time you hear it you're like that's a really good speech it sums up, it's to the point, it's exactly what he needs to be saying, it's very, very good. But then he repeats it over and over and over and over again, and you're just like, oh, okay, I see what's happening. And he also realizes what's happening, because th- part of the quote I did at the start of the episode is that, like, he said the speech so many times that he's, like, riffing on the speech and, like, being like, this is the, like, this is the part where I say this, and this is the part where I say that, and here's this emotion. And it's so overly rehearsed. Yeah, he just can't even keep it straight anymore. There's a sequence where he goes and they rush him to the television studio so he can give his point of view on something. And he's so just lost in it at this point, he just breaks into laughter Yeah, and can't say anything. I will push back a little bit in terms of like the strength of his character. Uh, part of what I was expecting from this movie as the movie was happening is like, as soon as he starts being a part of the political process... All of the advisors and the political, like, whoever's are constantly filling every room he's in with noise to the point where he rarely can get a word in edgewise. So for me, the entire movie he felt small. Because that's kind of, I was kind of, and I, I mentioned this to you when we were watching is I kept expecting a big thing. Now, to be fair, this movie's 50 years old. And so the nature of storytelling in cinema has changed. But I was expecting there to be a big moment where he's like, no. This is what we're doing. We're having this moment. This is what's going on. And that does happen a little bit during his debate with the opponent, Senator Crocker Jarman, Mm -hmm. which what a name. It's a great name. But like, basically his big explosion was at the latter end of the second third of the movie, if not in the third act. And it's basically just like, you guys didn't even ask me about any of this. It's kind of like his last gasp. As opposed to the beginning of the movie where it had been, no, this is the kind of candidate I'm going to be. And I was expecting, because I mentioned while we were watching, like, there's two big things. The first act of the movie, we don't get to meet his dad because it's pre- he says, I don't want my dad's help. I don't want my dad's help. But then they mention that he's down and not really getting enough votes. So maybe his, and people are saying that the dad supports the opponent. And so we finally meet the very, very, like, clearly a politician dad. And so he's, he's basically like, Dad, just, I'm not asking you to be a part of anything. I'm just asking you to, to not be a part of it. And so the dad says, great, I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to support my son. He's like, no. And it's just another compromise he's had to make. But again, to the original point I was making of, 
I was expecting him to be bigger, and it never felt like he was big. See, I'll actually come back with, come back at you with that one, please. Because you look at him in the beginning, and he's very much issue oriented. He wants to talk about the issues. He's talking about stuff that his advisors don't want him to talk about, and he keeps going until literally the halfway mark in the movie. So at about fifty-four minutes into the movie, it's about a two-hour movie. He gives a talk to an empty state, empty, empty auditorium. He gets punched in the face by a guy who handed him a wiener. And he got punched in the face by someone who handed him a hot dog. A hot dog. Excuse me. Let's use the correct term. Let's a use the dog. term so people understand what you're saying. Well, I, I thought I was being cute. It, it, it's not cute if it's obfuscating the information. Okay. So he gets handed a hot dog and then this guy punches him in the face. And we never find out why. He didn't like his views. That's why? Yeah. Fine. Okay. Okay, but he also gives a talk to an empty auditorium, and he's told that he's going to get destroyed. He's not going to come out of this looking even remotely good out of this. There's nothing good that's going to come out of this election. And that, I think, is the turning point where you see him start really kind of bending to what the political party wants him to do. Okay. So he's got a sense of pride there, and I think it really gets torn apart. But I think for the first half of the movie, you see him almost like commanding the screen, and then he just gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and more and sort of more into the scene, more into the background as it goes on. Then I guess what I would have preferred, and I guess this is a directing issue, is that during those first fifty-four minutes, I understand, like I could understand that he was giving speeches, but I certainly never got a sense that he was behind any of his speeches. It just kind of felt like he was talking, and. Very, and whenever he wasn't uh, talking, he was getting overwhelmed and like shouted down by everything else around him. And if he was going to be this confident character, I would have liked to have seen that more. I would have liked to have seen, if there was going to be noise, him being able to step up and be above the noise and overpower the noise, which never happens. Because the movie certainly ends with like crowds of people just completely overwhelming him and him just getting sucked away and being a part of the crowd as like the crowd just absorbs him. Yeah. And I would have liked to have seen more in the movie. Like, when we first meet Bill McKay, he's running the office, he's super confident and everything. But as soon as the political process starts, it always felt like he didn't have his bearings and he was kind of like a fish out of water. Exactly what I was just about to say. I honestly think it was very much a fish out of water story. Yeah. And I think, but I don't necessarily think it doesn't, it doesn't, it, you can't sell it with someone other than Redford in there. Oh, for and sure. For the for this for the purpose of remaking it, we're going to sell it with someone other oh, yeah. than Redford in it. My, but Redford carries that film. My issue isn't with Redford necessarily. I I do think it is with the direction in that his performance was good, but it didn't feel as powerful. Like, to me, it didn't feel as powerful as it clearly felt to you. Yeah. Well, Michael Ritchie was an interesting director. He had a very up-and-down career and did a whole bunch of films over a wide range of subjects. Well, anyone who names his child Guy. Yeah. Richie and Redford had made Downhill Racer together. Okay. And together they both produ they produced this film together, and Richie then directed it. So yeah. he did a very good job at directing it. He's done a bunch of other movies in the 80s. He did a bunch of other films. He did one that I really like because I think it's called The Positively True Adventures of the Alleged Texas Cheerleading Murdering Mom. Great name. Which stars Holly Hunter, one of my favorite actresses. And it's just this crazy-ass story out of Texas. Holly Hunter is separate from Helen Hunt? Yes, she is. Interesting. Jokes just for me and a couple people I've talked to. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So then, I have a couple ideas, but I'd like to hear what you would be interested in doing with this movie. Well, 
interestingly enough, and I think we touched on this, is a lot of the subjects that they touch it they touch on in this movie, even during the rant that he gives after the debate, during when he's trying to get subjects talked, when he's trying to get in touch with the people and actually talk about subjects that he cares about, are subjects that are incredibly relevant today. So he talks about houselessness people. He talks about poverty. He talks about race. He talks about... He had one really good line where I think he said crime is the symptom, not the problem. Yes. And then they wouldn't let him put it in the speech. Right. Which was a great moment because he's, A, that's true, and B, they wouldn't let him put him in the speech. But I'm sorry, continue. Yeah. And they said, oh, no, you have this five-point plan to fight crime or something, which was ridiculous. But it talks about, you know, police over-policing. And it talks about... A lot of it talks it the way it talks about politics and race and class distinctions is exactly what we're saying today. So I think the reason I wanted to remake this movie is because a lot of it is still relevant. Fifty mm. years from now, fifty years from when this movie was made, we haven't made any progress. Nope. And that I think was actually quite anything, horrifying to me. If anything, we've gotten worse. Yeah. Because the Republican candidate, who may I remind you, his name is Senator Crocker Jarman had some talking points that were extremely right-wing, but weren't as right-wing as a lot of the things that get said today. That party's pulling itself apart, and people are following it, which is nuts to me. Anyway. Anyway. So, okay. Other than, like, impetus for redoing the movie, and and how did you... All right, let's take another step back. This movie takes place in California. He's running for... The California Senate. Or not the California Senate. He's Senator for California. Senator for California. Where did you want to set this movie? I wanted to set this actually in Georgia. In Georgia? Oh, okay. Great. Yeah, I wanted a state that's a little bit more competitive. Okay. And California these days, in terms of in ter- in terms of where we vote and how we vote, isn't that competitive. Unless. I'm fine with Georgia, but my idea had been that it wasn't going to be a Republican versus a Democrat. It was going to be a Democrat challenging the incumbent Democrat. Why can't I think of the... uh, Like, some young person going in and... I mean, Dianne Feinstein is... She needs to retire immediately, but whatever. Some young person going in and challenging the Dianne Feinstein equivalent within the movie. Okay. it's it's just this person has been in office since the original the candidate came out and it, like they're not doing anything and the world has shifted and they haven't shifted with it and so it's someone challenging them. So you're looking actually for someone who is an older type democrat, someone who's more with more of a progressive bent. So you're looking at a progressive versus a traditional democrat. Basically. So th- that's one way of setting it up. I'm also perfectly happy to go to Georgia. I'm perfectly happy to do Republican versus Democrat. I don't see how we I don't see how we can still do the incumbent Democrat versus say a more progressive vision. I think it does it doesn't actually have to be said in Georgia, but I really do like the idea of both people being from the same party, but one being from a more progressive wing of that party. Okay. I think that's actually really interesting. Okay, then let's do that. Yeah. So the other way I'd kind of considered it in terms of just the nature and plot of our version of this movie is in the original movie they kept referring to statistics and graphs and charts and polls and if there's one thing we've learned certainly within the last five to eight years is that every single one of those things is total bullshit yeah 
we've learned that polls can't be trusted and polls are always, not always, but polls are often wrong because they're not based necessarily on the, on the right information. And so we can have a populist candidate who stays populist and then I, I, I don't see our version of a movie having a happy ending, unfortunately. I don't think this movie, I don't think this version of the movie had a happy ending. I don't think so either. Yeah. So we either have a populist who stays populist and loses, or a populist who gets homogenized and wins. Or you can have a populist who stays populist, but once he gets to the Senate, can't do anything because he has no allies within that Senate. I think I think that goes too far in the future. Yeah, I think that I think that person is then no longer the candidate. Right, but I think the point of this movie, I think I think one of the things about this movie is you elect someone who doesn't know where the next step is. Sure, um, I don't necessarily agree with that because like there's a whole system in place for junior senators, and certainly like there will be people who get elected who then have no support structure behind them. Like you look at AOC, and you constantly hear about how. Nancy Pelosi keeps getting upset with AOC because AOC keeps saying things that are too left. And AOC is like, it's a problem, Diane. I know. I know it's a problem. But I think I, li- I really do like the idea of someone who is more left wing than the current incumbent Democrat. Sure. Getting the job. Yes. I think that's important, too. But I think that, like, if we're going to be following kind of the arc of the, the movie... I, I, and I think they are going to, no matter where they end up, they will still be more left-wing than the incumbent because they're younger than them and they're going to win. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just a matter, and you, so you do think the person should win. Yes. Then I think our movie kind of needs to be with the original of, like, the compromises you make in order to get to that point of victory. Yes. So the reason I brought up the idea of polls not working is the one nice thing I can say about Donald Trump is that he shined a lot, a light on the failures of our political system at, at its core. And yeah. I feel like what you can do is that if you had someone who was populist, who was super leftist and stayed popular, like stayed that way is they could be making their, their entire campaign, not about reaching out to the current people who vote, but about the vaster majority of people in this country who don't vote. Because that is kind of what Trump did is that he was like, vote for me i'm a monster y'all want something that's not that's not regular vote for me i'm a monster it'll be different and people are like yeah great and so a bunch of people who would have never voted all of a sudden not only jumped into the political system they jumped in for this random guy and now of course they can't leave despite the fact that everyone knows that he's an absolute fuckwit but tell us how you really feel yeah (laughs) well i think i think one of the things that trump exposed and you've touched on this is the fact that our polling system didn't work because it wasn't polling the right people right it wasn't asking the questions of say the large majority of trump voters who were just gonna vote for trump because they felt and they fell under his thrall and they they weren't the sort of people who get in who get polled anyway no because the entire polling system is itself hierarchical and and elitist but that's the whole point of donald trump it is that's the whole point of trump and his appeal yeah but well, I think if we try and do it Democrat versus Republican like that, it becomes too polarized. I agree. And I don't think it becomes a movie about that, I about agree. what we wanted to say. I agree. But I don't want it to be like that, but I like the idea of the leftist populist candidate saying, hey, like, you have your, like, the people who voted for you their entire lives, but look at this 
70% of the population who've never voted. I want to get in touch with them and inspire them to go to the polls and do stuff like that. And I feel like that can be a whole thing. And just like as that falls away and the people around him stop, like like you just surround yourself with all these people who say, no, this is the way it's done. And just being continually hammered back into place. Eventually this person just ends up on the exact same line doing the exact same thing that ostracizes that 70% of the population in the first place. Yeah. I also had the idea of starting the movie with this person working as a uh, political activist and surrounded by an incredibly eclectic, diverse group of people. And by the end, when the person wins, they're surrounded by exclusively white people or mostly white people. I like that a lot. And it's just like, it's just very much a very political statement of as the movie progresses, the people around the, the main guy get less diverse. Yes. And it's, we never call it out. It just happens. It just happens. No, I really like that idea. I really, really like that idea. I think that's one of the things I thought of as well, mm-hmm. was how to make it homogenized. Yeah. Well, I also, because like, I had, I considered gender swapping. I considered making Bill Mc, uh, McKay more diverse. And I was like, no, it has to be a white guy because you can comment on the fact that it's a white guy. Because all these different things, all these different ways and suggesting and supporting your different beliefs, but at the end of the day, they still came to him, a white man, because they assume only a white man can win. And I went a completely different way. Oh, okay. Well, I thought of that whole, like, do I keep it? As a, I thought of the whole thing. Well, I didn't think gender swapping would work. So I took that out immediately. The country is far too sexist for that. Yes. However, I did think that you could definitely put in a black actor, a black guy in there and make him more progressive because I think that's where a lot of the progressive voice in our country is coming from. Especially because you were thinking to place it in Georgia. Right. Which I still think we can do. Right. Yeah, you can have a... Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll have to have a fictional Georgia where despite Georgia's Georgianess, there's a whole movement in Georgia right now about like bulldozing an entire forest to build a cop city to train police officers and it's not okay it's the the forest is one of georgia's lungs like it needs the air and it's the the forest was promised to the native american and black communities and then they broke that promise and instead are bulldozing want to bulldoze the forest to put a police training facility yeah it's bad it's very bad it's very bad but i think so we're a fictional georgia where despite all of that they're not putting cop town in no 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 they might even still be doing that. Right. And this this Democratic senator is like, of course I support the police. Yeah. What sort of person would I be if I wasn't supporting the, the police who keep us safe in our beds the at night? police. I, I assume the incumbent's a white guy. Yeah, okay. There you go. But yeah. I, I do declare I can't imagine a world in which I would ever consider not... Supporting our brave men and women. We have women now in the blue. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, like that's the sort of person. I could absolutely see just like a real foghorn, leghorn, democratic type being in the Senate there and being kind of a Democrat in name only. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, yes. And that that's that's our Senator Crocker Jarman. I yes. think it, like Georgia is still good. And I think in that case, probably a black man will work better. We'll cross our bridge when we come to it. We'll cross it. But in terms of... I mean, other than that, what else do we need to do? Like, what makes for 
the story we want in our movie? Like, what is going to happen? Is our Bill McKay going to start as a political activist? I mean, obviously we need Bill McKay. We need Bill McKay's dad. I don't need him to have necessarily been a governor, but also a very well-regarded... I think Bill I think Bill McKay, or whatever his name ends up being, because I had a different name for him as well. That's fine. I think he needs to be pol- politically active somehow, because otherwise he's no one. Yeah. He needs to have some sort of a voice there already. Yes. Because the whole point of this is getting, of it, of it starting, is for him to get his voice and his ideas out there. Yeah. And the whole arc of the movie is that in order to get his voice out there, he loses his voice. Yes. Exactly. In order to get his voice out there in the way that he's being told will work, and I'm suggesting it won't, but whatever's being told in the movie... The, the, to, if, in order to create a satire of our current political system, he has to lose his voice in order to do this. Yes. Because in order to actually truly be a remake of The Candidate, it needs to be a quote-unquote satire of the current political system. And the political system we have now is homogenizing as fuck. Yes. Okay. Cool. And almost a satire unto itself. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's not good. It's um, not good. I was a little shocked at just how just how awkward and uneasy this film made me feel this time watching it. And this is probably about the third or fourth time I've seen it. Yeah. And it really just made me unnerved. Yeah. One of the things... So in terms of just like causes, obviously the environment is going to be his number one thing. Yes. And I think that's incredibly important. And I... So I, this is just, if we're leading into the satire, here's one of my satire pitches. Obviously his number one thing he's always going to be talking about is how important the environment is. Talking about Atlanta, talking about how hot it's getting, all the different things, environment, environment, environment. That's who he is at the beginning. He could even be an environmental activist. I don't know. I don't care. He's probably a leftist like activist. He believes in all the different things, but environment, environment, environment. And as the movie progresses, it's, of course we need to do this to five-point plan, to we need to su- we need to support the business's ability to change as opposed to regulating them more, to the point where I genuinely, when we got to the very end of the movie as it existed and they went to a ticker tape parade, I just had this idea of all of a sudden them doing a ticker tape parade for our main guy and him just having a moment where he catches one of these things and says, he just pulls up one of the tiny little pieces of ticker tape and he's like, this is plastic. <laughs> and the the advisors go, yeah, it was cheaper than paper. We got them printed. Don't worry about it. He's like, and then you just wash them get, and then you just see them get washed into the sewer. Right. Or you see like the glistening pieces of plastic in a river or the ocean, or the river. Yeah. The river afterwards. He, yeah. I love that idea. I love and that idea. It's just like, you just see this huge, the thing he believed in the most and now he can't even bother fighting his own team about how horrible they're being. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, for them, the ends justify the means of, he'll be able to fix everything once he's elected. By I don't even think they think that. I think they're like, we just want our guy in. We yeah. want to win. Yeah. I think it's not even... I, I don't think they're even naive enough to think you can fix everything once you're elected. That's true. I think it's more, let's get our guy in because our guy rocks. Not even our no, guy no, rocks. No, because th- we want to win. Yeah, it's, it's 
we want to get our guy in because he's our guy. And we want him to win. Yeah, we want him to be ours. Yes. Yeah. Because that is the nature of a lot of our politics. Of It's not about what this person will do when they're elected. It's just the fact that they are our person. Yeah. Oh, good. They did the thing. We got them elected. Immediately disengage. Which, I mean, I'm absolutely guilty of as well. But you hope that the person... Anyway. I'm going to just make myself depress this episode. I hope that's cool. Yeah, I think I don't think I was ready for just how depressing I found this film. And but it's the completely it's a, com- a bubble. I know. The poster is like him blowing a big bubble and it's all happy and there's happy music at the beginning. And just given to where our country's gone today, I was so depressed at the end of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. This movie's a bummer, Diane. Yeah, this movie was a bummer. I, I'm sorry. I, you know, it is billed as a comedy, and these these days, it's not that funny. Yeah, IMDb uh, listed as a comedy drama, and I would absolutely call it a satire, but not a funny one. No, but the fact that you could take any of the speeches that they gave and any of the any of the talking points that they have in that movie. And just move it into our movie is amazing. What I would like to do is I would like to comment on that. I think we can take Senator Crocker Jarman, which is an insane name, and I'm just going to keep saying it. And I think we can even show Crocker Jarman having been giving the same speeches for 40 or 50 years. Yeah. And I think we can literally talk about how he's been doing this exact same thing for so long and now people are just used to it and they just vote for him because they just expect him to be the person and they don't even think about it. I, and yeah, I, I think you and know, I, he runs unopposed for years. Yeah, exactly, because he's just the guy. But like, I think because he gives the same speeches all the time, we can have our like our guy, I'm going to keep saying Bill McKay until we potentially come up with a different name. Right. Uh, Bill McKay go in with new speeches. He's like, every speech is going to be different. I'm going to be dynamic. I'm going to connect to the people because every, every audience is going to be different. But then you can even see him by the end of the movie doing exactly what happens in the original movie of just giving the same speech over and over again. Yes. And I think in Act 1 you have to call out that that's what Crocker Jarman is doing. I'm sorry, Senator Crocker Jarman is doing. And then by the end of the movie, Bill McKay is doing the same thing. Yes. For Certainly not for 40 years, but... but. As a progression, he actually retreats into this, into this conformity that just makes him like every other politician. Yeah. Because that's just the nature of how they believe they can win. Again, it's not, it, it's the wrong way to go about it, but I'm not in politics. What am I even going to do? Yeah, because a lot of time what we what we elect is the mediocre. Well, I, I thought about it. Like, one of the things, I, I, the thoughts I had after we watched this movie is like, in terms of just like finding a politically minded, a, like, uh, just a nice young man, genuinely. This is one of the few movies where I've generally considered being like, just cast me. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I'm exactly like the, just the nice young white boy. I'm kind of the thing they, they're looking for. I can just go in and say the, say the speech by rote. That's not who I am. But like, oh, just a nice young white boy. Oh, I just want to vote for the nice young white boy. That's who I am. Yeah. In no other movie have I thought I would be more perfect casting than for this one. And it made me so sad. <laughs> yeah. And they actually say that in the movie, so... Yeah. We're like, we voted for him because he's pretty. 
I felt so bad for his wife in the movie. Yeah. I, I started the movie not necessarily liking her. Because she was, I mean, she was a photographer. She was really artistic. And then when the idea of him running for Senate came up, she was she was super into it. And I was immediately distrustful of that. Mm-hmm. And I, in retrospect, I think she was just trying to be supportive of like, I think you'd have fun. Wouldn't that be an adventure for you? And over the course of the movie, like she's trying to be supportive. And she's clearly being the perfect candidate, like senator's wife. And he just is so sick of running for Senate that he takes it out on her. And she gets marginalized. And she gets marginalized. I think, at least for me at least, the wife was a much more important character within this film. Yeah. Because it needs to be. She Absolutely. needs to be. Yeah. She needs to be. She she needs to represent America. Yeah. But she also needs to be, I think, the progressive voice that doesn't get silenced. I agree with that as well. Because she's not the one in the meetings being told what to do, getting homogenized. And I feel like the tension needs to come not from her trying to be helpful and him being resentful of where he's become. I think the tension needs to be from her seeing what's happening to him and her recognizing that he is himself compromising. Yes. Agreed. Because even within like the original movie, Nancy, which is the wife's name, she starts out being very supportive and then she's kind of like, well, whatever. But at the end of the movie, she's like, well, I want to live in Chevy Chase. I want to live in Georgetown. I want to live here. I want to live there. So she's picking the most elitist parts of Washington and Virginia to live in. And she was the artsy-fartsy photographer at the beginning of the movie. Yes. Because she also completely compromised herself because she was allured by the glitz and glamour of being a wealthy politician's wife. Yes, exactly. So I think... For the wife not to be compromised and to be her own voice, which I think will then cause tension within that relationship, which I think is a good thing, that's what needs to happen with her. I think that is a stronger representation of what's happening, and I feel like that needs to be the small representation of what's happening on a larger scale in the big movie. Yeah. And I think at the end, it's going to involve Bill McKay stepping out to give a speech or stepping out to greet the crowd and leaving the wife behind. And then you just get to have a moment of, as he's giving the speech, just in the distance, you watch her turn around and leave. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I like that. Or, to if you even want to take it further out there, she goes out, but then she goes to where he started. Uh-huh. So she starts talking to, say... Oh, that's good, too. Yeah. Yeah, great. I love that. She, she becomes the political activist that uh, her husband no longer is. Yes. Or... She takes up the mantle of having to be the political activist for two because she was a political activist before and now she's having to fight twice as hard because she's filling in both her role and the role her husband used to be. Yes. And then for Marvin Lucas, the campaign head, I kind of saw him being a jovial, fun guy. We all like him. But we slowly realize that all of his joy never reaches his eyes and he's jovial as a political tactic of just being the guy who's just smiling and getting stuff done but he's also dead inside. See, and I saw it as a woman, a very powerful woman. Great. Who wanted, who knows that she can't do what she needs to do without putting a puppet man in front of it. Sure. But then, but then again, that's towards a goal, a political goal. And the whole kind of purpose of the movie is that there is no goal. It's just the office is the goal. Right. But she wants to elect her guy and her voice. Sure. But that's exactly the problem is that then she's getting a voice. And the whole purpose of that is that he becomes voiceless. Right. 
Okay, I I'm see not, what you're saying. I'm not opposed to it being a woman. Like, I got no problem against that. But, like, just in terms of the of the, of the the character themselves. Of the arc, like, yeah. Like, we need to think that they have a voice, but then it turns out that they also are just hollow. Yeah, and they all want they to, want is the win. They, they want to win for the sake of the win and not because they actually have anything they care about. Okay, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Or not that, that anything that they care about that they're interested in pursuing beyond the win. Yes. And then I cast some other people too. I, I think the, the character of the dad is just, uh, he's just the political, political person who's always been a political person, but actually enjoys being a nothing. See, and I saw the dad as someone who's been left-wing and even unbelievably left-wing his entire life to the point where the United States actually thought he was dangerous for a while. So I saw him as right at the edge and the son That's being, a different character than is in the original movie. It is though. a different character because I didn't have the dad as being like the ex-governor or something. I wanted to give the dad more of a progressive voice so the son comes out of that. But such a progressive voice that he's he was unacceptable to move into any higher office. Well, part of the reason why Marvin Lucas goes to Bill McCabe in the first place is because Bill is a legacy of a very loved and well-regarded man. Like, it's... The, the state is like, oh, this was the guy who was who was the governor. And, like, all the questions start being about the dad. Like, is your dad going to support you? Because everyone liked and remembered fondly the dad. Right. But I also wanted to give... I don't know if I'm explaining this right. I wanted to give the dad a position of power and voice, but I didn't necessarily want him to be a governor or to have state office. I wanted him to be someone who would be on par with like a leader of the Black Panther movement, so well known within the African American community. I think that but pushes too, us too far the other way okay. because then you have someone else who's again encouraging him to have a voice, and the whole purpose of this movie is that it's homogenizing him out. What I think we can do is I still think we can take that. But if you don't want to be a former politician, that's fine. Again, that's not really the point. The point is that he's a well-regarded person in the community for being a well-regarded person in the community. Like, they never talk about what the dad stood for or who he, or who he no. was. But I think you could have him be the, the local head of the NAACP. Yeah. He never did anything with it. He's just like, oh, he's the head of the NAACP. What does he stand for? Well, he's the head of the NAACP, whatever they stand for. Okay. And one of those kind of things where he does represent something, but we need to have a reason for Bill McCain not to want that the dad to be a part of the can of the of the run. Yeah. And why he's like, No, 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 I'm doing this on my own. I don't need him. Because as when at the beginning of the movie, as the political activist, he wants it he's almost doing that in spite of the, the person he came from. Right. But I think it's also you've got to keep in mind that the dad had a presence. Oh, for sure. So I think there has to be, it has to be some sort of position within the, I don't actually know if we can define that position, but the dad has to have some sort of position where he is known within that community. Well, I think that's exactly it. I don't think the dad stood for anything. I think the dad was just charismatic. And so people liked him because he had charisma, not because he believed in anything, but just because he was a likable guy that you could get beers with, like that kind of guy. Okay. Like, I don't think he stood for anything. I don't think he had any beliefs. I just thought he was just the likable guy. Whether or not he was actually a good person, notwithstanding, the movie seemed to suggest he was not. 
The movie seemed to suggest that he was part of the poly- the party machine from the word go. Right. But in terms of the people, the, pe- the people liked him because he was just naturally charismatic. Yeah. And they're liking Bill McKay for the same reason. But Bill McKay wants them to like him because of what he politically believes in. But they're learning that he just they just like him because he's charismatic. Yeah. And so that's why he starts leading into the charisma of it all, abandoning the, the issues and just being charismatic. But it's empty charisma. Yes. So the dad kind of is emblematic of, is just another symbol of the empty shell husk that surrounds it. But it's, it's all these different people who are different kind, who have been through the political process. And it's all these different people who have been through the political process and the different kinds of empty husks they all are. Okay. Yeah, I'll go with that. Okay. I don't have anything else for other character descriptions or like arcs. Um, well, but, I, um, but I feel like we should get into casting. Yeah, let's get into casting. Because I think that's where it gets interesting. Yeah, I want to hear about the the new name you have for Bill McKay. Well, I wanted to make him black because I was like, yeah. this should be if it's Atlanta, if it's, if it's, it's Atlanta, Georgia, if it's Chicago, it's whatever. If it's it, Georgia, yes, yes, I agree, he should be black. So I thought it should be the last name. I couldn't think of a first name yet, but I was thinking the last name could be Rashad. I just I like that name. I think there's it just came up. <laughs> I don't know the origins of the last name Rashad. I'm going to look him up. Yeah, I don't know the origins either, but I just know that there are several people I respect with that last name. So Rashad is actually largely an Arabic name. Mm -hmm. Are you looking for a main character to be Muslim? Maybe the father? And that's where the name comes from? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fine. Sure. I wanted to, I think what I wanted to do... I mean, you was, could genuinely have his name be William Rashad. Yeah. Just Bill Rashad. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. No, and I think, honestly, I was thinking that because I was thinking in terms of a former president who also had, you know, whatever. I was thinking it might be interesting to have a name and to have a character with a little bit of history within there that might make him a little bit controversial. Sure. Okay. Who did you cast for that role? John David Washington. Tell me about John David Washington. He's from Tenant and Black Klansman. Um, he's done some really cool movies. He's also Denzel Washington's son. He's 39. And I thought he'd be... And he's got a lot of gravitas. And okay. he's, I think he can really carry a role like this. Great. Good choice. I have no problem with that. We will probably go with him. My thought was I went with a white guy and I wanted kind of a nice, charismatic white guy who's done kind of the big dramatic things but is also clearly a very good dramatic actor but is also very very funny and the person who i kind of thought who was representative of younger he's 40 years old but like the the younger of like yeah leftist movements is andrew garfield okay and for the version of the movie where it would have still been in california i think andrew garfield would have been the correct pick but since we're setting this in georgia john david washington is absolutely the way to go and if just as another aside, if you guys haven't seen Black Klansman, it's friggin' awesome, and you should definitely go see that movie. I've seen Black Klansman. I loved it. It's a good movie. So then that brings us to Nancy McKay. Or, I'm sorry, Nancy Rashad. Nancy Rashad. Kiki Palmer. Okay. Why Kiki Palmer? Because I think she can carry both funny and also dramatic really well. Mm-hmm. I think she's a powerful actress, and I think you've got to have someone who can hold her own in this movie. And who you believe is someone you'd want to follow. Fair enough. I also, I mean, I was making my main guy white and I was going to make like a whole point about, well, you're coming to the white guy, obviously. 
but I tried to surround him with a little bit more diversity. And so his wife, I wanted someone who is also charismatic and funny, who based on the arc we're now giving can appear to be kind of just like the supportive, happy wife, but then becomes the strong one by the end of the movie, which, you know, go figure is an arc that she's had recently. And as I said, at the end of the day, Nancy Rashad needs to represent America. And who better to do that than America Ferreira? I love her. I love her, but I will say I like Kiki a little better in this role. I'm going to push back. If we have, I feel like Kiki Palmer would have been an excellent choice for gender swapping Bill. I don't think that she works as the supportive wife necessarily. I think she's too strong. Actually, I'll go with that. Yeah. So let's go with America. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That brings us to Marvin Lucas. You've gone first for the last two, so it's my turn to go first. Sorry about that. (laughs) So once again, I talked about how I wanted this character to be jovial and fun, but then we realized that the joy doesn't reach his eyes, kind of dead inside. And so this is a character who was the lead on the Carmichael show, but he also played a character in Get Out. He's voiced a bunch of cartoons I really like. It is an actor named Lil Rel Howery. Do you know who I'm talking no, about? Not at all. I think he was he was Rod Williams. I think he was like the the trooper or whatever it was in Get Out. Okay. He's gonna be in Good Burger too. He was in Luck. He was Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I know this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So he's been in a bunch of different things. And he's not the most well known. Like I've seen him in a couple of different things, but I don't know that I could pick him out of a crowd. But I think that that's exactly the sort of person you want for the political advisor. You don't necessarily want the John Hamm to be the political advisor. You'd want to be the, him to be the one in front of the camera. I went a different way. I'm, uh, I'm sure you did. What A-lister did you pick to be this character? Angela Bassett. Because I wanted okay. someone who could run power. And who projected yes. power on this. And who, in her in their own voice, could overrun a candidate who had a very powerful voice and just say, no, you need to do this and make that voice happen. And you see Angela... <sighs> I see Angela Bassett. I see... I think she I, is I one think of the most powerful pro- actors. I agree. that That's the problem. Is I think you have the exact same problem as you had with Kiki Palmer. Of like These are incredibly powerful, strong women. But that's not what the role needs. I think the role needs someone who has a vision within this. I, I don't see this as jovial, 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 just happy-go-lucky. Um, right. I saw this as someone who has a strong vision of getting that person into office. Yes. Not necessarily a strong vision of, like, and in any means possible. So I saw them as a shark. Ah, okay. That's not the kind of character we talked about. Okay. Okay. Then, yeah, I didn't quite voice that correctly. I saw this character as a political shark. Sure. Because I think it needs to be a little bit more pointed and a lot more um, sharp edges rather than rounding everything. I I understand what you're going for, and I'm not necessarily opposed to the idea of it being a shark. But I can't see her being empty beyond that. Like, I see Angela Bassett as always having a goal of like, okay, we get this candidate in to do this. Okay. I can see that. I can actually see that. But I think we need someone who's a little more powerful in voice than... I mean, I, the, the actor is powerful in voice. 
but I understand what you're saying. But I, I also think you cast Angela Bassett, everyone's going to be looking at Angela Bassett. Yeah. But then, I'm happy to if come we go back... back 50 years, Peter Boyle was a big was a big star at that point. I believe you. I would not... I yeah. could not recognize he was him. In a, no, but he was in a ton of stuff at that point. So. Let's, we can, I mean, so is this guy, but we can come back to that. I, yeah. I think... We both like our people, but I think neither of them fit. Mine doesn't fit your vision. Yours doesn't fit my vision. I think we need to come up with someone else for Marvin Lucas. Yes, I agree with you on that. But we'll come back to that at the end. Okay. Let's move on to Senator Crocker Jarman. Okay. Senator Crocker Jarman, I think we both will agree, is an old white man. Yes. What old white man did you cast? Michael Douglas. That's fair. That's a good choice. Yeah. Why Michael Douglas? Michael Douglas because I think he, you kind of accept him as having some sort of gravitas that he would need for this role to play a senator who's been in power for 50 years kind of thing. Sure. And you buy him as that guy. It's not an unreasonable thing to think that he's just been there forever Uh because he's charismatic enough to get elected forever. And then even as he gets older, then it's just, yeah, it's that guy. Of course it's that guy. Yeah. And I think he's also malleable enough to where he's now this Democrat in name only. Sure. So that's why I picked him. Great. Who'd you pick? My old white man. I, I Part of me really considered making it Robert Redford, but I was like... I, I came so close to that as well. Like, I literally have Robert Redford just crossed off, and I'm like, I, I have to mention it because he is the right age, but I think he's 93, so he was slightly too old. I don't think he's 93. Is he really 93? He's 93. Oh, wow. Okay. I might be getting him confused with someone else. No, you might be right. I don't... Um... I'm sorry, he's 87. Okay, I feel much better. I considered, I, uh, I considered another actor who's 93, but okay. 87 still. 87, yeah. Um, so I, my older actor, uh, I went with Kevin Klein. Okay, yeah. Who... Uh, it's awesome. He is. I specifically looked him up and I went and double-checked his, uh, his political leanings, and he is liberal, and he did this whole thing where he talked about how just, like, the idea of anyone questioning where Obama's birth certificate, like, back when that was a whole thing, he was like, anyone who's questioning that is so stupid. You guys are idiots. Stop it. Well, Michael Douglas also, I can Yeah, Michael Douglas is also super political. Right. He's super political. He made things like the China Syndrome and yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that. And mm-hmm. also sort of an actor-producer kind of thing. Yeah. So, And they're both super charismatic, super, ver- like, and they they both would understand the assignment of they know what they're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. Um, at this point, either one of them is fine. Yeah, I we'll, think we'll flip just, a coin on that Yeah, one. honestly. So um, let's go with Michael Klein. T- yeah, or Kevin Douglas. Yeah, there we go. So I can tell you right now, my John McKay is not going to work because he's white. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you about mine first. I wanted someone who we instantly trust and love and was like, oh my God, it's him. Yeah, whatever he says, we'll do whatever he wants. And that's because he was in The Hunt for Red October and the Horse Whisperer, and Jurassic Park. I went Sam with Sam Neill. Neil. Yeah. I love Sam Neill. Yeah, exactly. And so that's kind of the vibe I was thinking for the dad of like, oh, I love him. He's so good. Uh, that guy's so great. We love that guy. Because that's the kind of like political person he was of just pure charisma and nothing else. Yeah. Obviously, we can't do that because uh, unless something I don't know about John David Washington, we can't go with Sam Neill. So who is... Who is John Rashad? Okay, see, and here we get into my problem because, and I think it's an overriding problem with some of the choices I made, was because 
I was going with him as my my feeling of the dad was that he was an old 70s, 80s political activist and very, very prominent and known throughout the community as someone who did that. So I picked Samuel L. Jackson. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Samuel L. Jackson's not bad. And you genuinely can just have him just talking about stuff and and just shooting the shit and just like smile, being all smiles and everything. And then he just... There's nothing else there. Samuel Jackson's fine. Okay. Because you can see him walking in and just being the, like... The okay. guy that everyone goes to. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, take his char- the way, his character in uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah. The, the version of the character he plays when he's playing the character could just be him as reality. Mm-hmm. Because he talks about, like, I'm not going back to jail. I hated it in jail and I'm not going back. And, like, just talk about, like, the nature of the character. But when he plays a character, it's just, ha-ha, smiles, and it's great. And that's literally, he just, he played that character for so long that it just stuck. Okay. I, I don't have anything wrong uh, with Samuel L. Jackson, because the important thing is we both cast a Sam. Yeah, that's true. And both of those Sams are great. All Sams are great. This is true. Even girl Sams. This is true. Yep. I had the possibility of going through and doing a whole bunch of the other political people. I did one other political person. Same here. I honestly thought... So we'll go with both of them. Yeah. Literally, it was like, it's just a room full of the same boring white guy. Exactly. The only other person I cast was specifically the one who was like the advertising one. Okay. Who like put together like the posters and everything. Yeah, yeah. Or the the commercials. But I... Fill the room with both of them. Who was your political person? John Boyega. I I liked... uh, That's a young person. That's a young person, but I also liked him as kind of... The sort of the ultra naive guy who just thinks politics is awesome and that we're doing this for the good of everything and gets slowly disillusioned as well. You can't have all the characters going through the same arc. Diana. I know that needs the to be about the main character. I going understand. The arc. I understand that. That's what I'm saying. I, this doesn't work. Yeah. I was thinking different ways. So I'm having. I'm, sa- I'm saying my original thought on him is this is why I cast him. Yeah. So we don't have to do that. I mean. We couldn't necessarily put Andrew Garfield in one of these roles. Yeah, we can put him here too. Let me tell you about who my person was. Uh, basically, I for this, this is where I put my shark mm-hmm. because it's the advertising. So it's not about it being good or bad. It's about it being effective because it's advertising. Here are the clips. Here are the ones that work. We did cut out. We cut out all the crap. It's just getting the job done. Yeah. And so I went with an actress named Rutina Wesley. Uh, she had she was in a role. She had an episode of The Last of Us. She had an episode of Arrow, and she had 88 episodes of Queen Sugar. Okay. Yeah, uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's fucking awesome. Right. This is where I put the shark, because she's the advertiser. That absolutely works. Absolutely works. So, that, in terms of, like, yeah. Because, like... No, straight up. That works great. Okay. So, we need to figure out our Marvin Lucas. We need someone who is driven to win and needs to win, but mm-hmm. also... That's it. That's all they care about. Honestly, John Hamm is exactly the archetype. I don't want to go with John Hamm, but basically John Hamm. Because you think of John Hamm as being like, we're going to get the thing. Okay, you got the thing. Okay. Yeah. Great, I got the thing. Great, what are you going to do now? No, I I don't. There is no now. I got the thing. We got the thing. Shoot. Who would we put in? Darn it. Um, So let's think a little bit more about what is represented in Georgia and what we haven't represented. We kind of have the old folksy. We have the southern, the big southern guy in terms of 
Senator Crocker Jarman. Mm-hmm. We have the 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 charismatic but empty dad in Samuel L. Jackson. Right. We have John David Washington and America Ferreira being political, and then that gets homogenized out of them. Right. So we ha- have to have someone who sees how the system works and is kind of willing to sacrifice Bill Rashad to the system in order to in order to win because that is kind of what happens yeah that's exactly what happens so we need someone who again is smiles because this person also has to have their form of charisma but it's manipulative charisma yeah i'm just trying to think of now the question is is do we do and put a woman in this row i have no look no no, i'm just trying to think i'm just trying to think it's fine if you come up up with someone who does that that's amazing yeah I think a shark is too much because then no, that's, that's playing the long game. So like my brain was like, oh, like a Kate Blanchett type. But Kate Blanchett won't work because you have the same problem as Angela Bassett. Yes, exactly. So you need someone who... We need, some, we need someone who can be jovial but is also a shark. I, I think a shark... Not, not a shark. That's not what I'm trying to say. Not a shark. I, think, I don't think you no, want no, a shark. No, no. I want to take a shark out of this. No, not I think, a shark. I like, think what you need is a lamprey. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Because literally, I think the moment you have where Marvin Lucas, because there's a moment where Bill McKay and Marvin Lucas are talking at the, head of the, at the beginning of the movie, where Bill asks him, so what do you get out of this? And his answer was basically, a thousand bucks a week. Yeah. He cares about winning because it looks good on his resume and it means he can do this again. Mm-hmm. And I think he cares about winning because it means he gets to have a job, a, a job that pays him pretty well. Like a thousand bucks a week in 1972 is pretty damn good. Yes. A thousand bucks a week now is pretty damn good. This so is true. Fifty years ago, oh my god. Yeah, that's a lot of money. So the idea, I think, the idea of a lamprey is good because it's like, great, I will just latch on and we'll just go, and I don't care where we're going, just as long as I get to eat on the way and I get there first. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Sure. I mean, the, the lamprey wants to win. The the lamprey wants to survive decadently. Yes. Okay. So for a lamprey, it's not even about the winning. They want to latch on to the biggest thing because they know the biggest thing will survive. Yes. So they want the person to win because the per, that person winning protects them. Yes. It's not because they necessarily care about anything else. It's because if they're on the biggest thing, they, they'll get the best food. Yes. So we need a lamprey. We need a lamprey. So there's like plenty of obsequious people in like Game of Thrones or something. Mm-hmm. Actually, actually, you know what? That's not bad. Hold on. What about Alfie Allen? Oh, he's slimy. He's great. He's slimy, but in a charismatic way. Yes. And he, his, so it, for those of you that don't know, he's Theon Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. He also plays a really slimy, like obnoxious rich boy in John Wick. Yeah. And that's the kind of character he can play where I think in Alfie, the Allen would be willing to sacrifice a true blue leftist political activist on the altar of politics in order to just further his own career and in order to get a win and get to eat for another year. Yeah. Plus, plus, if we go with what you were talking about earlier, at the end, Bill Rashad and ends up surrounded by white people. Yeah. And this is a white man pulling the strings. That's also true. Alfie Allen would be very good at pushing the homogeneity of everything and just slowly, slowly taking a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more until all of a sudden there's nothing left. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I like him. Okay. We're good with that. 
And that brings us to writer and director. Okay. I had two choices on this. Okay. Two different versions. All right. But I think I've gone first quite a bit. <laughs> I think you just went first the first two times and it's been fine. Who did you have for your writer? Okay. I'm going to go with the people I had separately first. I had Amber Ruffin as the writer. I don't know Amber Ruffin. Amber Ruffin is a writer who started with Seth Meyers. She has her own talk show now called The Amber Ruffin Show. She is amazing when it comes to talking about the black experience in America, political discussions, as well as what's going on. What, you know, what are white people doing to black people at this point? Yeah. And she does it in a very funny, very, very, very wicked, pointed, and well-written way. Yes. What has she done that hasn't been a sketch show or a late night talk show? Nothing, but I don't care. Okay. No, I'm going to I'm going to actually say I don't care because okay. the guy who wrote the original candidate was a speechwriter. Yeah. So and I think Amber Ruffin has done speeches on all of these talk shows and things before. I'm I'm setting you up for something. Okay. What I was setting you up to say is that like what is a modern speechwriter if not someone who writes monologues? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I was trying to. Yeah, I, mean, I, I sometimes miss all these cues. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah. And so that's the writer you want to push forward? That's the writer I want to push forward. Okay. I once again wanted to hunt for someone who understands politics. And like, I, I read this article where this writer was talking about how after, it literally said in the article, this is the line I remember, after I peeled myself off the floor after Trump won, I was like, how do we make sure this never happens again? And he started setting up meetings with prominent Democratic Party leaders and other people in the in the movement, like saying, okay, what do we do now to make sure that we can stop this from ever happening again? And this is just a guy who's a writer. And in terms of certain things he's written, he's also written subtly political things, sly political things. He wrote The Hunger Games. He, he wrote, he adapted The Hunger Games. He wrote Terminator Dark Fate. He wrote Captain Phillips. Okay. And this is a writer named Billy Ray. I know who you're talking about. He's also a director. He is also a director. Yeah. I, I have him just as a writer. Okay. I would rather have a feminine voice in this. I don't disagree. Yeah. I um, like Billy Ray. I like a bunch of stuff he's done. I really do. But I think... Specifically when I was writing down, I was like, oh, well, we're not going to do Armando Iannucci and we're not going to do Adam McKay. Those right. are the obvious choices. Yes. What can we do that's not the obvious choice? Yes. Again, in my head, we were in California. And if we were in California, Billy Ray is perfect. But let's not decide on writer yet. Let's talk about director. Okay. I agree we need a feminine voice. Yes. Here's where I put it. Okay. I went with someone who has been writing political shows, or I'm sorry, has been directing political shows and also comedies. And like can go back and forth between the two because it sure would be nice if the satire had some jokes. Yeah. And had some comedic things. She was a director on Armando Iannucci's British political satire show, The Thick of It. And she directed episodes of Avenue 5. She directed episodes of Succession. And she directed episodes of Veep. She directed episodes of Peep Show. Her name is Becky Martin. Okay. I I, I wasn't expecting you to know who she was. I didn't either. I went with her because of the nature of her resume. Okay. Which is... political comedy and knowledge of rich assholes. Okay. I went with a a black director and the reason I went with him at this point is because while I felt that 
I could get a feminine voice from the writing. I wanted someone who could absolutely nail the sort of African-American experience in today's political arena. Okay. And I think he did it really well in The Blackening. And his name was Tim Story. Okay. Because The Blackening really took me by surprise. It was really good comedy about stereotypical tropes of black people in horror movies. So I thought, who would be better than to cover, like, tropes and stereotypicalness of black people in politics than someone who knows what that black voice is? Yeah, that's not a bad argument. He also directed 2005's Fantastic Four. Mm Mm-hmm. But he also did Ride Along, and he did Barbershop. Yeah. And what he did in The Black Moon was extraordinary. It was phenomenal. I, what I would like to do is if we're going to have Tim Story as the director, I would push for us to have Billy Ray as the writer. I would rather have a black writer, black writer on it. Okay. Then would you be okay with us having uh, Amber Ruffin and then directed by Becky Martin? Yeah, I'd be okay. fine with that. All right, then let's do that. Cool. Then that's our movie. Yeah. Then let's, let me take you through The Candidate 2024. Let's do it. Because that's when it would be. Oh, God, right around an election. I know. I just did the math and was like, oh, God, it's next year. They did the same thing in 72. I know. 72 was a presidential election year. I know. Yeah. Okay, so... Okay, we're not putting anyone on trial on this movie, so I think we're... Not yet. Yeah. The Candidate, 2024. Bill Rashad will be played by John David Washington. Nancy Rashad will be America Ferreira. Marvin Lucas, the campaign head, will be Alfie Allen. Senator Crocker Jarman will be... Senator Crocker Jarman will be Michael Douglas. John Rashad will be Samuel L. Jackson. Rick Jenkin, the advertising executive, will be Rutina Wilson. I'm sorry, Rutina Wesley. All of this will be written by Amber Ruffin and then directed by Becky Martin. That is The Candidate 2024. Love it. Diane, will you get depressed after watching this movie? Absolutely. Yeah, me too. On the uh, other hand, Amber makes me laugh. So I'll yeah, probably, I'll it, probably, she'll probably get some really great laughs out of it. It'll be funny and cutting and then, you know, too real. And then we'll cry. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, Diane, thank you for making me sad. Excellent. And, and for being my guest on this episode. Love it. Not necessarily in that order. Probably not. <laughs> Now's the time for promoting or whatever you'd like to do. If there's anything you'd like people to watch or follow you on or something else you'd like to support, now's the time to talk about it. What I support is, just based on this movie, is get out and vote. Great. And be active in your political arena, whatever it is. Okay. And I'm on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it today. It is uh, Dibster, at, at Dibster, D-I-B-S-T-E-R. And that's that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm doing my own writing stuff right now. Great. And nothing really that's coming out to support because there's a strike. Yeah. And hopefully it'll be over by the time this episode airs. Probably not. We'll see. And that's what I got. Great. Okay. If you're interested in following me, I am on Instagram at Ideal Remake. Spelled like the podcast because it is the podcast. Or you can follow me on Blue Sky. I am at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H. But if you'd like to have a conversation about this podcast, our casting, or if you want to suggest a movie for me to cover, you can always join the Dueling Genre Discord and have a conversation there. It's a lovely community. And we were talking about 
Phineas and Ferb today, and that was delightful. Or if you can do something that all podcasts might include and appreciate, which is to go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. I haven't gotten a review in a little bit, and I would love to have some more. Thank you very much. So now I will end this episode the same way I end every episode. Diane, what is your favorite quote from the movie, The Candidate? Oh, that's easy. Go on. What do we do next?